Everybody okay? Good. I'm glad to be here with you guys this morning. If you're new and you and you have kids and you want to send them, you can. If you if you um, want to keep them, you can. We don't have a a check-in system, so you might end up with somebody else's kid if you. Uh, I don't know how church, big churches do that, but I, apparently it's pretty important. So. Here, I think we know each other well enough to know that somebody's trying to haul out with somebody else's kid. Somebody's going to stop someone. So it's like, wait a minute, that one's not yours. <laughs> so uh, we're thankful for our, our workers back there. Um, you guys encourage them and, and thank them for what they do and all the work they do uh, for your children if you get a chance. Because um, sometimes our children aren't the easiest to deal with. and uh, And sometimes... The church leans on the church to teach the children instead of the parents teaching the children. And uh, so the, sometimes they have a big gap to fill because other churches aren't doing their jobs doing that. We do a good job, right? Right. Um, <laughs> okay, we'll just stay away from that. I figured out in life there's three things you can't preach on, otherwise you lose everybody. Food, money, and kids. It's true. Touch any one of those three, people get offended. You want to know where the idolatry of American Christianity is, and that's where it's at. So, just throwing that out there for all you future preachers. Touch somebody's food, their money, or their children, and they're no longer your friend. <clears throat> it's funny how that works. Anyway, it has nothing to do with what I'm talking about this morning at all. Nothing to do with what I'm talking about. So we're, um, we're prayerfully going to have one more session on Ephesians, which will be next Sunday, and then we'll be done. A uh, long, long series of verse by verse going through the book of Ephesians. I pray it's been a blessing to you. If you want to listen to them, they can be found on the website, Facebook, any podcast platform you prefer. Uh, where we went verse by verse through the importance of Paul's intellect by the Spirit Seeing what he saw in his spiritual vision as a wise master builder, how he established what the church and its operation is supposed to be in the first century reality, which also carries a dynamic weight in our reality as well. Certain truths transcend culture and time, and Ephesians is one of those. And if we don't live by the book of Ephesians, we're not living the gospel. Because Ephesians embodies not only the gospel, but it personifies, clarifies, and compartmentalizes things that Jesus said in a very practical form, in ways that Jesus didn't really touch on. But Paul, through the Spirit, enlarged the word of truth uh, that Jesus spoke and taught. How many of you guys know that Jesus is the example and the set icon of what truth and reality and the word of God is. But how many of you also know that we are the continued expression, the micro expression of what the word of God is supposed to be demonstrated as? So just as Jesus was the word of God, we are a word from God. Are you with me? The Word of God has standards. The Word of God has restrictions, requirements, 
It's not something to be cheaply spoken, yet that's predominantly how we treat it. We think that just because we, re, we reiterate, regurgitate, repeat a word that is scripture, that it is truth. And that's not what the Bible says. Truth, according to the word of God, is a spirit, not a statement. Truth is a person, not a repeated idea. Truth is a man with an intellect, a character, a wisdom, an operation, an agenda, and a name. Truth is not the mere statements of right and wrong. Truth is not your rendition of the Bible. Truth is a person who can live the scriptures in full capacity because he has the authority of heaven backing him. So much of the word in the church's mouth has no spirit behind it. It's simply dogma by which people cannot live under because it's oppressive. Truth is a spirit. Jesus says this in John. He distinctly calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. And yet he calls himself the way. So Jesus is the truth, but what spirit does he operate in in that truth? The Holy Spirit. The word of God has to be demonstrated, revealed, and lived by the power of the spirit. Not the intellect, not the knowledge, and not the soul. I would say a massive portion of our modern Christianity has its roots in soulish truth. Just enough truth to lay burdens upon men, but not enough spirit to have those same men live out that reality. That's the difference between the religious spirit and the Holy Spirit is the ability to live it out. They speak the same thing. And if we can't discern what is religious spirit or Holy Spirit, how are we going to know what is the true word of the Lord? Because when the demon and the Son of God are speaking the same Bible verses, they land differently. I think Christians need a greater defense system in guarding their hearts when they're speaking with someone they're not intimate with or they don't understand fully. Because just because someone starts spouting off scripture doesn't mean they're right with God. Are you with me? So when Paul gets to this part of Ephesians chapter 6 in the armor, which there's a preface here because everything that came before that is absolutely essential in the demonstrating of the armor. We can't demonstrate the armor in full capacity unless we do chapters 1 through 6 and a half. Which is why so many people are frustrated. They want the word in their mouth to mean something to someone else, yet it doesn't mean anything to their wife. I won't re-preach the message, but you can go back and listen to it. Most people are like, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I might get convicted and have to change my marriage. And I would rather just my wife change. 
or my husband. It's easier that way, isn't it, when somebody else changes and they stop irritating us. Finally, they, the, the Lord has answered my prayers. Congratulations, they get to heaven more right with God than you now. I, I hope you're happy. In verse 17 of chapter 6, it says, and take, which is a physical responsibility of ours, a requirement, it's something we must do. Take the helmet of salvation, we talked about that last week, and the sword of the Spirit. The two are in, intrinsically linked, yet I don't have time to go into the linkage. In fact, I barely have time to even talk about what the word is because it's so vast. I had to really pick and choose what part of the sword I'm going to focus on this morning? Because I could frankly probably do another 10 weeks just on the word of God. The longest chapter in the Bible is about his word. Yet you couple that with Jesus, his life, his manifestation, his character, all of it pointing to the very word of truth. Such a massive topic, nobody has the ability to, to unpack. We could take a million years and dissect the word of truth and never even touch the beginning of who Jesus really is and was. And it says, take this sword or this thing that's in the man's mouth, this word of life, this word of truth, which is the word of God. Take it, which means it's accessible to you. I'm not saying the scriptures per se. I'm saying the Holy Spirit speaking the word of truth over your life is a tangible substance that you have to take and recognize. And many times before we can take the sword of the Spirit, we have to recognize its presence. And if we're recognizing something else, calling itself Scripture, and we're taking that into an unredeemed mind and an unhealed heart, we're going to damage more people with what we feel like we're receiving. Because the word of God operates a specific way. It does not operate outside of that way, even if you believe it does. There are varying degrees of deception. Can we agree with that? Deception is deception, though. Just because you have a lesser degree than someone else that you can see a greater degree in doesn't mean you have none. In fact, I would say this, all of us need to check ourselves because the spirit of deception is the spirit of the age. It's the spirit we live under constantly, which means there is a choice by which spirit, which word we're going to take into our life, into our mind. And the spirit of the age, we can see it in the worldly sense, but the spirit of the age in the church looks different. The devil has many masks. He doesn't care what he has to wear to get into your life. He'll put whichever one he wants on to get into you, to your mind and to your heart, to deceive you into what you think the word of God means for your life because we think God is an American. <laughs> Let me give you a very big news flash. You and I, do not get to decide what the word of God is or means. He defines himself. The very beginning, who are you? The Mosaic covenant 
God looks at this man asking all the right questions, the man of God that was iconized for the rest of all, all, all of the Jewish history. And God says, you don't get to define me. I define myself. I am whatever I choose to be. And you better be okay with it. This is why so many people ask God why. It's really an assault against his character. They're basically saying, why did you choose to be this way in me? The audacity of the creation challenging the creator happens all the time. So I want you to understand that the word of God, the spirit of truth is never void. It's never void. It's never empty. It's pregnant with purpose and intention. It's sent out to do a specific thing, not to be received, recalibrated, and then placed into our life the way it's supposed to, we, we think it's supposed to fit. The word of truth was given by the spirit of truth, and that same spirit defines the truth that it is. And that Jesus as the principle defines what that operation is. The problem with Jesus' life for most believers is that they don't want it. Because the, the character and the nature and the process of who he is and what he was and how God defined himself in this life is never pleasant to the human Adamic nature. The way of Jesus is the way that Christians naturally deviate from. Can you not watch with me one hour? Pick up your cross and follow me. You must love your enemy. So many statements he makes are so contrary to our version of Christianity. Lay down your life. Store up treasures in heaven. Fear God. Fear the one who can kill the body and the soul in hell. So the intention of God, the word of God is not, let, 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 me, let me say it this way. We, we, we don't live in a place where we're just floating through reality trying to find the word of the spirit for our circumstance. That is so backwards, but that's exactly the way modern progressive Christian life has come. And I mean progressive, not in a liberal way, but I mean in a spirit way. Trying to pursue more rhema of God has gotten us to a place where we've taken what we think God is saying and we're reducing it down to a circumstance we need it to apply to. Instead of taking our circumstances and applying them to the nature and the character of God, and if they don't fit circumstantially, then we just suffer because sometimes that's what it takes. We think that God exists to keep us and to alleviate us from all suffering. And when we, as soon as we start to suffer, as soon as things start to get it hard in our life, we immediately start trying to find versions of the Bible that would take us out of our circumstance when our circumstance is most likely the cross he has us on to alleviate us from the Adamic nature that's causing us to misjudge the word in the first place. Does this make sense? 
The word of God is not given for your circumstance. Your circumstance is given for the word of God to be produced in you. Whatever you're going through, no matter how hard it is, how big it is, it could be the end of your life. Yet it still has, it's still pregnant with the purposes of God to produce Christ in you. And that's the goal. The goal isn't physical healing. That may happen. The goal is, is Christ formed in you? The goal is not a restored marriage. Do I believe God does that? Absolutely. Do I believe he wants that? Yes. But do we get to go into scripture and make everything about our restored marriage when Christ is not being restored in us? The word of God has pregnant intentions of producing word inside of us made flesh, not physical regurgitation where we can talk about things that we think we agree with and stay away from the things we don't. The Bible says in Revelation, out of Jesus' own mouth, whoever has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It doesn't say the text. It says the Spirit. And it says churches. In other words, there is something about a corporate hearing that the Spirit begins to speak in, which is outside of your individual preferences. And mine. There's sometimes... Where I get with certain people, and I know certain parts of that, that, what they're saying is the Lord, and then there's other parts of it that's absolute just freaking soul. And somebody who's immature thinks all of it's the Lord. And I'm like, no, it was only that segment that was right there that was the Lord. But they're a prophet, doesn't matter. They're still human. You ask me how I know, because I preach every Sunday, and I'm like, that part was the Lord, and that part was Chad. Does God use it? Yes, because he's gracious. Mostly because I'm an idiot. But the assemblies of God, not, in the, not, not that, that's not the, do, the denomination. The assembly of the people of God have a responsibility to hear what the Spirit is saying. I believe in logos. I believe in doctrine. I believe in certain things that are just unarguable there's certain parts of the word of God that are just unarguable and the Holy Spirit will absolutely never speak opposite to those principles and some of those are absolutely apparent others aren't so recognizable and I, I tell you what guys I'm just being a human here right now when I say this the thing that has shocked me the most about modern day Christianity even this church is the lack of discernment it, it just I'm like how do you not see that especially in people. They get too close or start, and then they get hurt. And I'm like, you didn't see that coming? How did you not see that coming? I, see, I don't trust everybody. I trust Jesus. And when people disappoint me, I know it was allowed by Jesus so I can trust him. That's the difference between maturity and immaturity is that when you get hurt, you don't trust the process of allowance and divine sovereignty. You think, he shouldn't have done that. Maybe not, but he allowed it. So what are you going to do? Are you with him? It's either going to produce Christ in you or it's going to produce bitterness in you. That's it. What do you think? You, you think you have the ability to control people? 
you've got a lot to learn if you think you can manipulate. Because manipulation always causes people to go the opposite direction anyway. So it's, uh, it, hearing the Spirit has a lot to do with a healed ability to hear. Because if our hearing's off, what are you going to hear? Let me give you an example. You ever met somebody who's completely full of rejection? I mean, so stinking full of rejection, it's just, it's, it's almost nauseating sometimes. It's like all about them. You can't, no matter what you do, it's not good enough. They always hide in corners and ooh, sucking on self-pity. And, and, no, and no matter how much you encourage them and love them, all they hear is you rejected them. You could bend over backwards for a million years and you don't do it one time and they're cratered. I mean, I've got a whole history of ministry about stuff like that. I mean, driving to Iowa to pray for someone's grandma in a nursing home from Arkansas. And then I, I fail one time as a human to not do something absolutely perfect and then I'm such a bad person. Because... That's the nature that's inside. All they can hear is rejection. That's all they can hear. You can't please that spirit. It's a black hole. You, whatever you throw into it never comes back out. It's never full. It's like hell itself. So my point is in that is that the mind that they've developed keeps them from hearing the spirit of truth. So we can't get to chapter 6, verse 17, until we remember that Paul in Ephesians 4.23 said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This, this, this sermon today will, will mean absolutely nothing to you and will not be replicable in your life until you get a renewed mind. It may, wow, I never thought of it like that, but it won't be tangible for you. You will not be able to operate in the spirit of truth without a renewed mind. Will not happen. Because everything you'll hear will be through the voice of something else that you've established as a stronghold in your brain. Our ability to hear the spirit of truth comes from our ability to have this soul man in check. This is why we can have such deception in the world. We can go into all kinds of things where the world's deceived. We're not going to do that. The church has its own issues. But an unhealed heart and an unrenewed mind will run away from the ways of God. Because someone who's been wounded, who meets Jesus and he says, come carry your cross, they're gonna be like, heck no. I've been hurt enough. What they don't understand is that God's wound brings healing. The world's wound brings more bitterness. I love what Brennan Manning said years ago. He said, you know, he said, sometimes we don't understand that, that people who have been burned, that God promises to heal them by burning them again. In other words, he makes them go through more pain and more disappointment, but when they go through it with him and in an open heart, they come through healed. But people who have an unrenewed mind, they're like, no, you hurt me, 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 you hurt me. And then when Jesus comes and says, carry your cross, they're like, no, you're gonna hurt me. And they'll never say that, but it's in their mind, like, that's hard. That's not God. 
God is not in pain. He's not in difficulty. He's not in trial. And it's like, really? Really? The Bible says through much tribulation, you'll enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus never promises, never promises an easy path. I don't know where we got that gospel. Well, I do know where we got it, but I won't talk about it. But if our minds are not renewed <clears throat> and we think hearing God is a voice in our head, then what are we hearing? See, what most people think hearing the Spirit is, is hearing a voice in their head. It's true. What if your mind's not renewed? Can you trust that voice in your head? Does that voice in your head sound like you? I have people coming to me all the time with all these little prophecies. And I'm like, that's not the Lord. That's you. But they're convinced. But I can't tell them it's not the Lord because then they get offended because they're so one with that voice inside their head that you can't challenge it. You can't. And you know what the biggest red flag for me for people who hear that way and speak out of their soul is their character. I know people who get like words all the time, but their character is terrible. Like they treat people like garbage. They respond like garbage. They don't understand the ways of God. They get on people who are learning. It's just, it's a mess. They operate in witchcraft while calling somebody else operating in witchcraft. This is, Witchcraft's control, trying to make something happen in a situation. Control something bad from happening. That's just as much witchcraft as, as, as the person who's trying to have something bad happen. You need to realize all forms of spiritual manipulation are witchcraft. You realize the wife who leaves the, the Bible verse open uh, by the toilet so her husband can see the highlighted one that she put, that is demonic. Do you realize that's a demon? God, God does not do that. He doesn't manipulate people. People either want to change or they don't. And if they don't, the best thing that can happen is you don't, don't let them change. Let, let them be the way they are and let them beat on you to form Christ in you. Leave them alone and let it work Christ in your heart. Otherwise, you're operating just like the devil. Manipulative. That shouldn't happen. They shouldn't be doing that. Do you realize how much junk happens in a church that's wrong? If all I did was correct what was going on in this church, that's all I would do. But honestly, those of you who have been with me long, how much do I actually sit down and correct you? Why? Because I know that you operate in a certain mess and so do I. And what I, what I believe is that Jesus can work in that mess to those who are hungry. So when people hurt people in here, I'm like, hey, it doesn't matter how much you've been hurt. What matters is, is who's walking with you through it. Are you going to walk with bitterness or are you going to walk with Jesus? It's your choice. Because if you want me to create an environment where nobody gets hurt, that's called heaven. I'm not big enough to do that. So Paul in Ephesians 4 tells us in prefacing this idea of the Spirit speaking, he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Why? Because that's how you hear correctly. And I'm telling you, it takes a body to hear what the voice of God is saying. 
But it also takes a body to be able to discern what parts of the, of the body speaking soul and spirit. Because within every spiritual uh, word from heaven, there's going to be some addition. I don't care if it's out of my mouth or your mouth. There's going to be parts. I don't judge anybody for those parts. I just realized that was God. That was God. That wasn't God. That was them. That's their opinion. That's fine. I'm happy to have that opinion. I disagree with that. But this is the Lord. And I'm not going to focus on what I disagree with them. And I'm not going to walk up and go, I just disagree with you. <laughs> doesn't matter if I disagree or not. I heard the word of the Lord. I heard this. I heard this. The rest of it. Okay, great. I have grace for you. Why? Because I do the same thing. Right? 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, you don't have to turn there. It says, now the Spirit, which is the Word of God, speaking, pneuma life, breath, speaks expressly that in the latter times, which is where we're at, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to the seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, when we read seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, we immediately think of men with pentagrams and pitchforks. and <laughs> That's not what he's talking about. These are people of the Lord. These are people in church. These are people who know the worship songs. They just have hermeneutical different ideas than what the Spirit has. But you can't convince them it's not the Holy Spirit because they've listened to that voice for so long without anybody checking them that they won't listen to you. Let me ask you, let me say this, just for yourself. Don't raise your hand. Don't be involved in this question. Just in your own mind, ask yourself, have you ever really in your life submitted to anyone? I mean, truly, just be honest, like really in your mind, like spiritually, have you ever really submitted to anybody or have you pretty much decided that you've kind of done your own thing for a long time, you've bounced in and out of places, you've kind of taken things from here and taken things from there and you've never really actually submitted what you're hearing to somebody in your life. If, if, if that's the truth in you, if you've never really submitted to somebody in your life to help you grow in your gift and to help you grow in hearing God and help you see the ways of God, you're in dangerous territory. And most people can't say, yes, I've really submitted. Most people have ping-ponged around different churches and different places and different people and different conferences and different seminars and developed this little personalized buffet of what they like and what they don't like, coming away with a plate they feel like they can eat. The problem is, is that if Jesus serves up his word, there's a lot of parts in there we don't like. And he makes people that represent who he is in different areas and characters of himself. And guess what, guys? If there's a part of a body of Christ you don't like, there's a part of God you don't love. Just because you're partial to your part doesn't mean he's not partial to the other one. Are you following what I'm saying? Thus, Paul getting into the unity of the faith and all the things he's talked about up to this point. Why? Because we can't have the Spirit speaking expressly to the churches until there's a degree of unity, a degree of mind renewal, and a certain way of life before we can use the sword of the Spirit. How important is the sword in the warfare? And no wonder the church is defeated, broken, messed up, because she doesn't have a renewed mind. She's not one in spirit. She doesn't submit to anything but what she hears in her own head. And she throws out instantly anything she disagrees with, which may be something that God's actually challenging them on, but they refuse to believe it because it doesn't line up with their doctrines. 
And then, but their lives, their lives are a mess. And I know a lot of people who are real confident in their theology. I just don't like the way their children are. You're like, why is that in your business? Because fruit doesn't fall far from trees. And you cannot, you cannot hide the fruit of your life. You either have fruit in your home or you don't. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits. I, I, I think I just touched one of the three, didn't I? I see a couple people, a couple of y'all in here got really offended at that. Offense usually comes when you know something's right. Now, if your children are older and they've already made their own decisions and stuff, that, that's not your responsibility. I'm talking about when you get somebody who's like, you know, in the age of the home where you should have like a little bit of restraint and they ain't got none. And they're terrible. And then other people have to deal with that, and it's hard. And it's like, wait a minute, is this how you're really raising your kids? I have people come to me and like, man, I really love so-and-so, but I can't take their kids. It happens. I'm the pastor. I hear a lot of things. It's like they seem so spiritual, and they seem like they know all this stuff. And they, but, but, man, their kids are the most disrespectful, the most rebellious. I can't deal with them in Sunday school. I, don't, I need help. How do I deal with these kids? I'm like, well... And it's, to me, I see it very clearly because the same rebellion that's in the children is in the parents. It's just in a spiritual way. The same lack of submission in, their, in the children is the same lack of submission in the parents. Fruit always shows reality. This is why Jesus is and always will be the definitive factor of what it means to embody the word of God. His fruit was pure. See, I know this isn't popular preaching, but it's, it's the word of God. We live in a very free, sloppy society where you get to decide what you want to do, and my kids are my kids. Your kids are not your kids. I don't know who told you that, but they lied to you. You're, you, will, you will answer to God for raising his children the way you're raising them. They're not yours. God has no grandchildren. He just used you to get them here. They're his. And you will be judged by how you raise them. You will be judged. You bear a responsibility. You don't get to do it by your opinion. The Bible says you train them in the way they should go. Now, if you've done that and they go a different direction, you're, you're good. That's, there's no condemnation on you. But if you're not raising them the way they should go, you better fear. But ask yourself, have I ever really submitted to anything other than my, the voice in my own head? Honestly, guys, most people haven't. See, the one thing the enemy of the, the religious spirit can't embody is the word of God. They can speak it, but they can't embody it. They can't live it. So in other words, you pinch them and they bleed black. They'll talk good. They'll talk the word. They'll talk this. They'll talk that. They'll talk all these things. But you, you put them in a press and you squeeze them, something difficult, and they respond. Bleh. That's, that's what's inside them. The rest of it's just masks. And then they bleed through their own mask, and then they blame you for the, for the squeeze. Why? Because God uses people to expose people. That's what he does. He uses Jesus to expose us. Humans expose humans. That's what happens. 
You can get mad at somebody all day long about how they offended you, how they hurt you, but the problem is if you were really as free as you thought you were, you wouldn't have been offended in the first place. Does that make sense? Some, I have a lot of people tell me all the time, like, I disagree with the way you're raising your kids. It's like, that's fine, but just judge my fruit. Don't judge my methods. I mean, you got to look at fruit. Are my kids perfect? No. I'm not perfect. But I have a lot of people that, that respect the way our children have turned out. And that only comes from the Lord. It's not because we were great parents. It comes from dependency on Jesus. So I want you to understand that the spirit of truth speaks so that we can embody the word. The spirit speaks what we are to embody. The spirit speaks what we're to enflesh. What he says is what we're to become. Are you with me? The spirit is supposed to rest in and upon flesh. Isn't that what happened with Christ? Yep. All right. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so. We understand according to Hebrews, right? We'll go there in a second. The word divides soul and spirit. You guys have heard that, right? The joints and the marrow. It's a, it discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It goes deep inside and slices apart. That's me, that's you. Every person, every person, when they're hearing the Spirit and the Word of God truly comes by the Spirit, it goes into the deep parts of us and he says, this part of you is me. This part of you is soul. It's mind, it's will, and it's emotion. And it discerns and separates the two. And Jesus had that same thing happen to him in Gethsemane. And he had to separate what was the Father's will versus what he wanted. And that's where we fail. We think what we want is the Father's will. Not always. You see, people say all the time, well, 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 the, well, the Word says that he'll give me the desires of my heart. I just read to you that there's a part of your heart that's soul. He's not going to give you that part. The soul is the Adamic. It's the fallen part of you. It's the part that exists in your mind that you have to personally renew. The way we think reflects how we see God. How many of you guys have had a hard time seeing God as Abba because of your own natural father? That's an unreadied mind. That keeps you from hearing actually clearly because when God speaks to you, you can't hear him. You hear through the voice of your pain, your, your hurts, your sorrows, your wounds. Your mind isn't renewed. Your hearing's off. There's a filter over your ears. What comes in isn't pure anymore because it's been tainted. We need to be healed. The more we become and embody the word of God, the more we lose, the more of that soul man that we're trying to, that we're trying, that's, that's messing with us. The more we get healed, the more we become like Jesus, the more we get rid of that thing. <coughs> are, are you with me so far? Okay. I want you to understand two things. The word of the Lord 
always opens our eyes to Jesus and life. It will always open your eyes or somebody else's eyes to Jesus, to life, the tree of life. That's the tree we were supposed to eat from in the beginning, right? The word of the Lord always opens people's eyes to life. But the word of hell, the word of knowledge, the word of religion, the word of, of the darkness always opens your eyes to what is good and evil. You remember in Genesis chapter three, it says their eyes were opened. That, for years, that kind of disturbed me because I was like, well, were they closed before? Like they never had more open eyes before that. Like they saw God and didn't die. They, they looked in the eyes of Jesus himself, walked with him in the cool of day. And what do you mean their eyes were opened? Their eyes were opened to the Adamic nature, to the fallen sin. They were open to good and evil. And when their eyes got open to good and evil, their eyes got closed to life. Before their eyes were open to life and they were closed to good and evil. In other words, Adam didn't look at Eve and go, you're naked, oh my God. He didn't even know it. He, they were closed. All he saw was her glory, her radiance, her beauty. He saw the good things in her. He saw all those things. The moment his eyes were closed to life, then he's picking her apart. This woman you gave me. And men have been saying that ever since. <coughs> Not you guys. I know that's not you guys. Some guys out there. Our eyes being opened to evil. So what I'm saying is the word of the Lord comes to open our eyes to Jesus. The word of hell become, comes to open our eyes to what is right and wrong, which is why there's so many fightings and bickerings. What was the first fruit? Falling fruit now. What is the first fruit of having our eyes open to what is wrong? You have children that start killing each other. The children always manifest what's in the parents. This is why Jesus now calls us in John 1.12, we are the children of God. Why? Because we're supposed to represent our, our father, our parents, our God. We're supposed to represent him. We're born of his nature. This is why nobody in the Old Testament could heal blind eyes. Everybody thinks dead raising is such a big thing. No, no, no. It's the eyes. Even, even, in, even in Darwinism, the human eye is what confounded Darwin the most on the evolutionary process. It's so intricate. I don't know how many thousands of nerves, but when you're born and your body's developing in the mother's womb, from the back of the eye to the front of the eye, there's thousands of nerve endings that start growing and they start coming together and meet in the middle. If one of those are off, you're born blind. How can these things find each other and find their mate and connect so perfectly? Nobody in the Old Testament could heal vision of the eye. Why? Because it was the vision that we lost in the first place. And that has to be renewed by Jesus himself. When he healed the man in John 9 of the, of the eyes. Nobody's ever done this before. Why? Because God reserves the right for himself to reverse the Adamic process that happened in Genesis chapter three. And as sons of God, our eyes should now be closed to knowledge of good and evil, and they should be open to life. 
That's why I get real nervous when I hear someone, I just disagree with that. I disagree with that. It's great. Well, congrats. I mean, come on, guys. All you can, is that all you can see is what you disagree with? In your marriage, in your children, and this and that. I see things I disagree with all the time, but you know what I found out? Love, love conquers a lot of that. There's stuff I disagree with in my own home. There's stuff that I disagree with in myself. People say, I have a problem with you. I'm like, I have a problem with me. It's, not a, it's a big club. You can join. You can join. So the sword of the Spirit opens our eyes to life. In other words, no matter how big of a conflict you're having with somebody, yourself, or whatever it might be, you, you, have, a, you have an idea where you can look and you can see what God is doing. Everybody wants, when I get into counseling sessions, everybody wants to get me on the details. I'm like, I don't care about details. It's like, no, everybody's right, everybody's wrong. I sit down, especially with couples, it's like, you're right, you're right. You're wrong, you're wrong. Both are right, both are wrong. Every time, every time. What I wanna know, what's God doing? And why can't you see it? That's what I wanna know. What's God doing? Why, why are you blind to it? Because that's the answer. Amen? Amen? The word of God, Hebrews 4.12, it's quick, it's a living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through to the separation of the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The soul does one thing with the word of God, the spirit does another. The soul beats people to death with the word, the spirit brings life. The soul tells everybody what they should and shouldn't be doing. And we already know. And, and we already know. Spirit gives people the ability to get there. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul, again, the master builder, writing to one of his pastorals. He says, study to show yourself approved to God. Why? So that you can be smart and impress everybody? You can have a couple letters after your name? No. You need to be a workman that does not need to be ashamed so that you can dividely, rightly divide the word of truth. In other words, there's people who don't. They don't rightly divide the word of God. They divide it differently. And just because it's word, it's scripture, they think, I'm right, I'm accurate. I've had to adjust my theology over the years by submission and leading and guiding and following and failing and and finding men of God in my life where I'm like, look, am I seeing this wrong? And sometimes they were like, no. And sometimes they were like, yes. I had to go back and on the, on the yeses and go, okay, where am, I, where am I wrong? Show me. And they begin to expound certain things to me. Like, oh my gosh, how come I never saw that before? And I had to change some ideas I had. Because we need to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And that doesn't happen because you hear a voice in your head. Some of y'all have a voice in your head, I don't like him. That's actually not your voice. That's the devil. And he's talked to you so much that you actually think it's you. It's the same voice that comes to you and says, I don't like me when you look in the mirror. I've actually, you should do that sometime. I, I, I challenge people to do that every once in a while. They go home, 
home and look in the mirror, see how long it takes for you to look away. Look into your eyes, look into your own eyes, get as close as you can. If you got bad vision, step away a little bit. And look at yourself in your eyes for as long as you can. Something starts happening inside of you. Because you see, you see yourself. I used, to, I used to be able to last about two seconds. Like, nope, I'm done. It's enough. Had enough for the next month and a half. Now, it doesn't, I can sit there and when I look in my own eyes, I see Jesus. Am I perfect? No, no. Just the same way Solomon used the word, the sword to rightly divide truth, so must we. Because there's gonna be a lot of circumstances in our life where certain people seem right and certain people seem wrong, but it's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's not about who thinks what. It's not about opinions that are standing before you. It's about what does the sword say? What does the sword say? Does this make sense to you? I don't have time to go into it. Matthew chapter four, you can read it. I talk about it all the time where the devil brings the word of God to the word of God. Very bold of him to use scripture against scripture. That's exactly what we do in our minds. And that's exactly the way the devil comes to us is he sometimes, especially once you get to a certain point where you're not drugging and thugging anymore, at some point, at some point, he's not gonna come to you with those temptations. What he's gonna come to you is a word of God that's not properly divided. Not, not, not properly um, understood. Which is why we need each other. We need the prophetic, the apostolic. We need the pastoral. We need the teacher. We need the evangelistic. We need these things. We need them. And all of them are gonna be right in a lot of areas and all of them are gonna be wrong in some areas. But somewhere, if we learn to rightly divide certain things, we can say, this was, this was flesh, this was flesh. But all this, this was the Lord, this was the Lord. Uh, we start to see a beautiful tapestry that God begins to paint within the church. Because we've developed discernment. We've developed the voice of God and we've developed certain things that we understand. Now, we understand like massive issues. We get those, but the small issues are the ones the devil gets into. And I've, I, I heard a pastor one time tell, tell me, he said, he said, God told me to divorce my wife. I'm like, no, that's not the voice of the Lord. But he, you can't convince him it wasn't. And that's very apparent to us. Like, no, that's not God. But how come the other things that the devil speaks to us, we don't see as not the Lord? Like the times we get in our head too much through our offense and our bitterness and our pain and our marriages and our this and our that and not taking responsibility and it's like blaming on them or somebody else. We think that's, we think that's okay. I wanna, I wanna end with reading this passage. In 2 Corinthians chapter three, there's an interesting um, connection Paul's trying to make here. In verse two, he says, you, he's writing to the Corinthian church, okay? Which is a really messed up church. It's a really messed up church. And he says to them in verse two, he says, you are our letter. You are our word. You are our representation of the word we spoke to you. You are demonstrating in how you live in the way the gospel has been given to you. 
You're the word. You're the letter. You're read by all men. So are you. He says, you're written on our hearts and you're known and read by everyone. We're a word from God. That's what we are. And how people read us is how they determine him. Most of you guys know that, 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 that part of the Ten Commandments is, is don't take the name of the Lord God in vain. People think that's cursing. It's not cursing. I don't recommend cursing. Uh, I, that's just not what it means. It means to call yourself a Christian and not be one. That's all it means. It means to take the name of God and not live like God himself. That's taking his name in vain. It's like a woman saying, I'll marry you, but I'm going to go whore with every other man I meet. I have your name and your checkbook, but that's it. You don't have my heart and anybody else that comes around, I will give myself to them freely. And that's what, that's what the church does. Verse three, it says, it's clear that you are a letter from Messiah delivered by us. Your word from God delivered by us. This is what the church is. Not written with ink, but by the what? The spirit of the living God. We have to live in the spirit in which we were written. Paul even says, later he says, I pray that, basically saying this, I hope you're living well, because if you're not, everything I've done is, is in vain. In other words, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, my whole life means nothing. All my sacrifices, beaten 300 times, shipwrecked, it doesn't mean anything. But by the Spirit of God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. Verse 4, and this is the confidence that we have through Messiah, Jesus, God, toward God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to consider us as anything from ourselves, but our competency is from God. He also made us competent as servants of a new covenant. We serve a new covenant, not of the letter. In other words, we don't serve the covenant of just the Bible. Is it true? If it's by the Spirit, yes. Do we know that the Bible was written in the Spirit? Yes. The Bible was written by the Holy Spirit through man. You were written by the Holy Spirit, delivered and spoken to by man. There's no difference between you and the Word in God's mind. And if there is, the rebellion is apparent. It's not on the word side. It's on our tablet. Why? Because the letter, what? But the Spirit gives life. What does that mean? The Bible in and of itself, just read as a book, will pile so much condemnation upon you that it will destroy you. That is not truth. Truth is the spirit that gives you power to live what you're reading. That's the new covenant. 
And if we are not operating in a living reality of what's on the pages, then we're not living in the spirit. And if we're not living in the spirit, what makes us think we have authority to use the sword of the But when you're in battle, what are you going to reach for? For most people, the sword of the spirit in their life is a toothpick. And the devil is supposed to be afraid of that. Because they're not embodying the thing that they're swinging. It's like, we've, we've misunderstood this, that we, if, if we quote scripture, the demon has to listen to us. No, he doesn't. The thing that the devil, I say this all the time, the devil is not impressed with, if you can quote scripture, he's not scared of the Bible. He's scared of the embodiment of scripture. That's what threatens him. That's what really gets it because a word from God is not necessarily just spoken, it's lived. Lots of things that Jesus taught were spoke before he ever came here. You realize that? Lots of things Jesus taught. It wasn't like the first time it was ever taught. Men had been teaching that for years. It had no power. They sent the men to arrest him. Like, why didn't you arrest him? Because nobody ever spoke like that. It wasn't the content. It was the embodiment. It was the authority. And so you can yell at demons scripture all you want. They don't. Just, you might think good about you. I'm quoting. It's like, no, no. It doesn't, uh, doesn't work like that. What they're afraid of is people who embody the word of God. I've noticed this in my life. I, I walk in a very huge, deep, deep degree of peace. Very, 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 very few times do I ever get ruffled. And when I do, I, I come back so quickly. Like I walk in a lot of peace. I don't ever get frazzled for very long at all. Very, I mean, I don't, I just don't. I used to, but I walk in a, like a well of peace. And I've noticed that whenever somebody's in, un, in unrest, and I lay my hands on them, just this river, just, and I can feel it. Even their body just relaxes. And I, and I don't even say anything. I'm not praying peace. It's, a, it's, it's an embodiment. It's something I've become. It's not something I believe in. I believe in it, but I've become it. And when you become the thing you're trying to enforce, it will be enforced. If you want peace in your home, become peace. Don't try to, don't try to, you know, you can't create it until you become it. Sons of God, make peace. Well, you can't make peace until you become peace. Jesus is the prince of, you know why he brought peace? Because he was, is, yeah, that's what he is. He can't do anything else. If you're not able to bring peace, it's probably because you're not operating in peace yourself. We want to fight all these wars out here with these swords and say all this stuff. But this word has to live inside of us. And how does that word live inside of us? By God exposing every area where it doesn't. That's the first step. It's very practical, guys. Look at all the circumstances in your life that move you, whether it's me offending you here, preaching this message, your husband, your kids, or whatever it is. Look at what moves you, and you're gonna find where your war starts. And that's where Jesus is trying to form Christ in you. That's where he's poking at you saying, this is what I want. Because, it, listen, until you get rid of that, 
You're manipulable. All somebody has to do is act a certain way, say a certain thing, and you go off the rails. In other words, you think you're mad at righteous anger. No, they're just, you're just being controlled by somebody else's ability to move you. You're a puppet. You're a puppet. Who wants to be a puppet? Anybody wants to be a puppet? I don't want to be a puppet. The only way not to be that is to be connected to the Lord God Almighty. And guess what? When you finally get there and you embody Jesus and that security and that confidence, then guess what? Then they'll just call you arrogant because they can't move you. It's, they can't because you don't care what they think. You're only there to help them find Jesus. And if they don't want him, you honor that. Just honor it. He says, this letter kills what the spirit gives life. If the ministry of death that was carved in tablets of stone had glory, that Israel could not even look upon Moses' face because of it, although that glory was passing away, how much more will the ministry of the Spirit not have even more, be even more glorious? You hear what he, Paul's saying here? He says, listen. He says, you're the letter of God. In other words, the same way that the people of God, when he came down from the mountain and looked at him, he couldn't look at his face. When you're with Jesus and you're like Jesus and you bleed Jesus, they should, there's something that they shouldn't even be able to look at in you. They're beholding the glory of God in a mirror. The Bible says. When they see you, they see the face of their father. This is God's intention. This is what's pregnant in the spirit of truth. This is the purposes of God. This is not, the word of God is not so that you can figure out how to get it to fit your circumstances and alleviate them. Philippians 4.13 doesn't apply to your weight loss program. It's not how it works. That is not contextual to scripture. It's using God's word outside of its intention. It's not pregnant with those purposes. It's just not even there. Like, it's not for it. Period. You can lose weight without Philippians 4.13. The world does it all the time. For this glory is the, in the, in the, in, if this glory in the ministry of condemnation was present, then the ministry of righteousness overflows in even more glory. For even what was glorious is not glorious in comparison to the glory that surpasses it. For what is passing away is glorious, but what remains is even more glorious. God's intention is for us to bear his glory. Not to touch it, but to bear it, to release it, to show it, to demonstrate it. If that wasn't the case, then God would not have allowed Moses to show forth the glory of God. People say, oh, all glory to the Lord. Listen, trust me, when they see God on your life, they won't be praising you. There's such an apparent contrast that they're like, that has to be God. Nobody's gonna say, oh, glory be to you. If it's really the glory of the Lord, trust me, the praise will come to where it's due. Moses couldn't produce his own shining face, and neither can we. But if it's present, they'll praise God. Therefore, because we have such a hope of this reality, we act in great boldness. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face. We open it up so God can see, so people can see God in our lives. We don't veil our life. 
So good. We're not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face in order for the sons of Israel to not look intently upon him to the end of what was even eventually gonna pass away. But their minds were hardened. You get that? Did you get what I said? The soul man was hardened so that even that glory didn't change their life, did it? The glory that rested on Moses did not change Israel because their minds were hardened. It's the same way with the American church today. There's so much mind-hardened people that their lives are not changed by the glory of God on people around them. Their minds were hardened, and up to this very day, the veil remains unlifted at the reading of the ancient text of, of Moses since Messiah. It is in, in Messiah that those things have passed away. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. We begin to what? See again. The word of the Lord in the mouths and the minds and the hearts of the people whom he sent to us to pull us out of where we are. If God sent you to a mentor, a pastor, a teacher, and you're not there to learn and to submit and to have your ideas challenged and questioned, let me ask you this, why are you even there? To take over the church someday? Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. You know what that means? Freedom from what? See, most people think that's just, you know, getting able to jump up and shout and run across pews and hang on chandeliers. And that's not what that means. Freedom from what? The voice in your head, yourself, Freedom from blindness. Isn't that what you just got done talking about contextually? The blindness of, of misinterpreting the word of God, of having a veil over our darkened minds, freedom from not being able to see life to being able to see life, freedom from being able to see knowledge of good and evil. This is what life is. Gosh, you guys, you guys, I don't understand how much power you walk in when you only walk in the ability to see what God is doing. Yeah, yeah, there'll be troubles all around you, like all around you. You'll be like, ooh, that's nothing, that's nothing, that's nothing because I see what you're doing. Instead of, I disagree with that and you shouldn't hurt me and you said this and you did that and I can't trust you because you've done this over and over and over and over again and all my eyes are on the past and I am like the devil. All I can see is what's wrong, yet I call myself a prophet. You know, I, I say to people all the time, if you can't see the army, then don't tell me, that, don't, don't talk to me about dry bones. Don't come tell me about something in somebody's life if you can't see the, the army. If you can't see the pearl, if you can't see the hope, if you can't see the restoration, if all you can see is the witchcraft, don't come, get, get, get away from me. I don't want to hear it. Is it probably there? Yeah, but you know what? If that's all you're focusing on, guess what? You're gonna have a really crappy existence. Jesus came to give us, he came to give us the right to eat from the tree 
that we didn't eat from in the first place. And yet we persist in eating of the tree of the knowledge of sin. Which church is right? Which church is wrong? Which pastor's this and which pastor's that? And my husband this and my wife that? And my kids this and my kids that? The word of the Lord is, it will wound you, but within the wound carries the healing. It's a two-edged sword. One wounds you, the other side heals you. As it passes through, one side wounds, the other side heals. But you know what? To people who are wounded, they don't want that word. Because they just see it as more wounding. Freedom from blindness. Verse 18, the last verse in this, I'm gonna read. But we all, with an unveiled face, say praise God. Unveiled face. No masks in the kingdom of heaven. Beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord. This is why I said you should probably look at yourself. And if you can't see glory, you need to go back to the drawing board. If you can't see it in your own life, probably nobody else is gonna see it either. Being transformed into what? The same image we see. Why? Because we don't see improperly anymore. The word, the spirit of life has opened our eyes and we see him as he is. The same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, who is what? The spirit. Not the text, the spirit who embodies the text. And if the spirit embodies the text and was written by that, then so should we. Dogma never saved anyone. Rules, regulations, all those things are, are trying to keep people from the sin they want to go to in the first place. That's all religion does. It's so funny to me. There's certain cultures that go like out of their way for the women to dress certain ways. There's multiple cultures. Yet those cultures I have found through personal intimacy with knowing those people and counseling their husbands, those men are full of lust. <laughs> okay, keep dressing like that. You didn't fix nothing. Am I saying to be immodest? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that doesn't fix the heart of a man. You're not gonna keep people from sin. You can't manipulate people and control them. I always tell people all the time, if you don't want God, man, go to the world as hard and as fast as you can. Don't flirt around on, on the fence. If you don't want God, be honest with yourself and go because it's the best thing for you to get it out of your system. Go, live it up, do it all. Hopefully you survive. Some don't. Hopefully you make it back. Most don't. But go do what you love because that's what's in your heart anyway and you're not gonna lie to God when you stand before him. He's going to see what's in your heart. The word of God will discern what's in your heart. And if you're, you have a heart of bitterness and you show up at church every week and you hate your husband, you have a problem. Not your husband, you. If you have bitterness against your wife, you have a problem. Not your wife, you. Are you with me? The word of the Lord is what we use to fight battles with, but we've got to embody this thing. 
It was never intended for God to speak and have it go out neutral. When God spoke creation into existence, what happened? Creation responded. When God speaks a word over your life and you are the word he's speaking, what happens? He's expecting some sort of return. Is this a process? Yes. Do we need grace? Absolutely. But guess what? He's full of grace. He's full of patience. He's full of mercy. He's full of truth. He'll walk you through this. And you, and you need to find people who will walk you through this. Because you're going to fail. You're going to have shortcomings. You're going to have weeks that don't go so well. You're going to have exposures. You're going to look it in the mirror some days and go, that part wasn't Jesus. But guess what? The exposure is the beginning of your release. If you can renew your mind and see it that way. If you can't, then your exposure is just going to create more bitterness inside yourself or someone else. So praise God when you have failed weeks, hard difficulties, things where you don't act like Jesus. Praise God. You know why? Because that's him saying, I want Christ formed in you. Because unless he shows us, especially me, we're too pig-headed to believe it. We won't believe it unless we see it come out of our own life. And like, where did that come from? Wow. Lord, I'm so sorry. Obviously, there's still something in me that I didn't see. Open my eyes. Can we do that? You know, stand with me. I know this, may, and this might be a little aggressive for some of you today. I don't apologize for any of it. I mean, there may have been things, I mean, there was things in me, I'm sure there were me, but like, uh, the, the word of the Lord is it's pure. And, and he wants to challenge us and change us, but, but he can only, he will only do that if we're willing. We have to be willing. Sometimes that means willing to be exposed first. And when that's happening, it's never pretty. And you need a group of people who are around you that look at you and go, yeah, I saw your exposure, but I, I, I don't believe that's who you are. I know who God made you to be. Isn't that so much more powerful if you fail and someone says, yeah, I saw that, but that's not who you are. I know who God made you to be. Isn't that so much more powerful than look at somebody and you go, you shouldn't have done that. Like, I mean, well, they already know they shouldn't have done that. Like, that's why they feel so crappy inside. I don't need you to be the voice of the Holy Spirit. I need you to be the word of God, embodied. The Holy Spirit's already spoke to them. You just need to back up the restoration God's trying to do. You with me? So if this, is, if this, if this moved you in any way, challenged you in any way, I just, want you, I just want you to ask God to open your eyes. In Mark, Jesus touches a man who's blind twice. It's a different sermon, but I'll recap it very quickly. Many of us have had a touch from the Lord where we open our eyes and we see dimly, but, but it's so much better than where it was. It's like, man, I can see. But we're, not, we're not really perceiving people accurately because he asked him, what do you see? He said, I see, I see men as trees walking. Well, men aren't trees. I mean, it's better than it was. He can say, I was blind, but now I see, but it's not clear. He's not looking at people the way God looks at people. He's looking through the lens of the first touch. And it takes sometimes that second touch from God to be able to bring the clarity. And so another, a lot of us have in this room have had a lot of touches from the Lord that have brought salvific reality and freshening reality. And we're not blind and walking around the darkness anymore. We're not bumping into things. But we're not looking at each other the way we need to look at each other. 
And sometimes we need God to touch our eyes one more time so that people become clear and we're like, wait a minute, they're not trees, they're human beings, they're sons of the living God. They're people who have destiny and power in life and I can see the intricacy and the details of their face and I see the face of my father in their life and I see the DNA of who he is and it's my job to serve that and love that and walk with that no matter how hard it might be. So Lord, give us that vision. Touch us again. Help us deal with ourselves Instead of trying to change the world, let's, let's allow you to change our hearts. And let's allow, let's allow you to change our marriages. And then let's allow you to change our children. And then let's, let's allow you to change our community. And then let's allow a community, changed community to change the world. To build healthy people and to embody the spirit of truth and open our eyes and open our ears to hear you. And Jesus, if there's any place in our mind that is not you, that we thought was you, we ask that you reveal it by the spirit of truth. Because your word says that your sheep would know your voice. So we ask that for these things, Father, for the, for the glory of, of your name. Because each person in here carries destiny and power and greatness. So much power and greatness. That in the words we speak, in the lives we live, we are with an unveiled face showing the glory of the Lord to the nations. So help us, Father, to understand this. Do a work in our hearts. And all those who are hungry here, Holy Spirit, begin this process. Encourage them and bring people around them. Cause them to reach out for encouragement. Cause them to reach out for prayer because this process is painful. But you promise to heal every hurt in our life because you're the great restorer. You're the great comforter. So comfort now, lead now, reveal now, open our eyes now to who Jesus is and let us operate and take the sword of the Spirit. The word of God. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Believing, amen.